Welcome to Finance Lab, a podcast for the intellectual investor, powered by Dalbar, an independent financial research firm dedicated to improving the investor experience. Finance Lab is where real investors get practical insight and perspective. In each episode, we'll dive deep into the fascinating world of finance, exploring topics like investing, financial planning, market trends, and everything in between. We're here to empower you with the tools and knowledge necessary to make informed financial decisions. Hello, and thank you for joining us on Finance Lab. I'm your host, Corey Clark, Chief Marketing Officer at Dalbar. The topic of this show is retirement planning and building a plan for that critical transition point from the phase of accumulating assets to the phase of distributing assets. And our guest today is Troy Sharp. Troy is CEO and founder of Oak Harvest Financial Group. He's a certified financial planner and a certified private wealth advisor. And he was named one of Investopedia's top 100 advisors in 2023. His firm, Oak Harvest, was named fastest growing RIA in Texas in both 2020 and 2021 by CityWire and also named one of the fastest growing private companies in America by Inc. 5000 in 2021. Troy has joined us today to share with us what he calls the Retirement Success Plan. Troy, thank you for joining us today. Glad to be here, Corey. So when we were talking offline before the taping of this show, you had mentioned to me what you called a light bulb moment. Uh, and it's not, it's not your light bulb moment necessarily, but one on the part of the investors. And I'd like to start there if we could to sort of level set. Could you describe to us what you mean by that light bulb moment? It's something that I've encountered, you know, numerous times over the years, working with clients that give us a call, they come in, they sit down, and I constantly would hear all of these decisions that I have to make. I'm all I'm just realizing these now. So once we transition from the accumulation phase where you're earning a paycheck and life is really complex, but finances are pretty simple. You save as much as you can into the 401k, you're getting your match, but you're more focused on the family, the kids. And when you do have some free time, you're trying to enjoy that with your spouse or or doing whatever hobbies you enjoy. So so life is more complex and the finances are pretty simple in, in the accumulation phase. Once we transition into retirement, all of a sudden life becomes fairly simple. You don't have the same obligations and your time is not filled up with a lot of the things that you used to have to do, but this is where the money gets complex. So most people don't realize it until they get pretty close to retirement and they start thinking about, oh my goodness, the paychecks are stopping. How am I going to generate income? Where do I pull this income from? Do I withdraw from the 401k? What about my savings accounts? Does this impact my taxes? How do I know that I have enough money saved up so I don't run out of income later in life? So it's the gravity of the realization of all these decisions that have to be made and decisions of great importance because the consequences of making mistakes or going down the wrong path with some of your decision making, it it becomes real. So just year after year after year working with with people who are entering retirement, hearing the same things over and over again, we kind of just coined it the light bulb moment. And it's it's just the gravity of of financially what's happening and the decisions that have to be made and how consequential they are just coming to the realization of that. 
And we also spoke about what you call the retirement success plan. Uh, and, and there are a few steps uh, that are, are part of that plan. Would you share with us on a high level what those five steps are? We found over the years that there are some critical pillars, so to speak, to a successful retirement. But first, we like to define with clients and, and individuals, families that are retiring, it's important to understand what makes retirement successful for you. Is it you know, having the comfort of spending money in retirement so that you're not afraid of running out later in life? We find that's a pretty common thing amongst people that are entering retirement. But some clients want to spend all of their money and enjoy all of it and don't really care what's left over. Others, you know, it is important that they have a certain amount of money for the children or the grandchildren or possibly church or, or favorite charities. So it starts with just defining what retirement success is. How do you view retirement success? And then inst- instead of trying to, to fit clients into a pre-made box, let's say a 60-40 portfolio withdrawing 4% annually, what we want to do is build that box around clients. So it starts with making sure that we have an allocation. That's step one, where the risk you're willing to take is appropriate for the plan that your, your overall retirement plan. We want to make sure that you're not taking more risk and therefore possibly could abandon your retirement plan if the markets go down and your accounts drop more than you're emotionally willing to handle. So that's step one is making sure the allocation is appropriate for, for the rest of your plan. Step two is income, planning for income. If, if there is no retirement without income. So all of those assets you accumulate, their purpose is to provide income to you in retirement, but also to have a plan that helps you feel comfortable that the money you're spending today isn't more than than more than you should, and you're going to be okay in the future. And then step three is the tax plan. So I think this part is something that uh, a lot of people overlook, but a lot of financial advisors don't necessarily get into. So you have this massive tax problem, most people do, with their 401k, with their tax-deferred accounts. If it's not addressed and you let that account continue to balloon, you could potentially have not only more taxes than you're anticipating in your retirement, but there's a domino effect within the tax code where if you have to distribute money because of RMDs, required minimum distributions later in life, it can cause possibly your uh, more of your social security income to be taxed, more of your dividends to be taxed, more of uh, possibly Medicare surcharges called IRMA. So there's this domino effect. So making sure you have a plan to address the tax challenges that you have so you pay less tax in retirement. So that's a logical progression there, step one, two, and three. We can't generate income if we don't know the allocation, but we can't help you pay less tax if we don't know where income's coming from. Step four is the healthcare planning, which is very critical as well. And then step five, the estate plan. It's important for financial advisors to work with client attorneys. So the attorneys are understanding of the financial plan. The advisors understand the legal documents and how the client's wishes will be carried out, but then also to be the quarterback of that ship to make sure that the retitling of accounts takes place, the beneficiary changes, but also any administrative items that need to be followed up on over the years are taken care of. So these are the critical pillars. We call it the retirement success plan. We feel everyone entering retirement and going through retirement 
really needs a plan to address. Well, I like how, how digestible that is. I mean, certainly when we're talking about a topic as, as complex as, as retirement, uh, you know, I think the danger is there could be 52 different pillars, right? And so being able to break that down into something that, uh, that, that the average investor can sort of understand and conceptualize is, is really important. And, you know, also, I, I think in, in how you described it, it's clear how, how each step sort of feeds into the next step and, and how they relate. And, and I'd like to dive a little deeper into each of these. Um, and I think it makes sense to sort of start from the top uh, in, in the, first, the first step. And even sort of chronologically, it, it seems that for any investor, whether you're near retirement or not, the first decision point that you're going to face even if you're 22 years old and rolling in your first 401k plan is the allocation. Where are you going to put your money? Um, but it does become a very different consideration as you get closer to retirement age because one has to be more conscious of risk as they get closer to retirement. Isn't that right? Yeah, you absolutely have to be more conscious of risk, but also you have to be aware of how your emotions could negatively impact your actual investment plan, retirement plan. So when, once the paychecks stop, then it, it kind of becomes real. Okay, I've saved up X amount of dollars. This is all the money that I'll have for the rest of my retirement, most likely. Put yourself in that situation. And then now you are overly allocated to stocks. And something like COVID happens where the market's down 30 40% in a couple of months. How are you emotionally responding to that? Are you staying committed to the plan that you have in place? Are the fears starting to creep in and, and you decide, hey, you know what? At this point, I even though I'm down significantly, I feel I still have enough money to make it through retirement. Maybe the best course of action is to, to sell everything and go to cash. I can't tell you how many times during COVID uh, we spent, how many hours we spent on the phone, essentially being therapists. You know, it's a matter of having the conversation that, that we've modeled inside your plan, these drops in the market and how we're currently allocated accounts for these things happening. But when you're actually in it and you don't have paychecks coming in, you're dependent upon all of your life savings to provide you income. There's an emotional aspect that for many people, it's very difficult to stick to their plan. So what we found over the years is the best way to help have people stick to their retirement plan is by having an allocation that is appropriate for their willingness to take risk. So we have two components here. We have risk capacity and risk willingness. The capacity, uh, your risk capacity is nothing more than your portfolio's ability to generate income. Is it 3% comfortably, 4%, 5%? What know, what is your portfolio's capacity to take on risk while also providing you an income that is comfortable today, but also comfortable in the future? And your willingness to take risk, that's your ability to stick to an investment plan when the markets are down, because that's when things can go haywire. And the income plan that's been structured, the tax plan, all of those things go out the window if you're not able to stay with the, uh, the allocation. So whatever tools you're using, you want to make sure you understand a range of possible outcomes. So if I'm overly invested in equities, let's say I'm 75% because the market's been going up for three years and I feel comfortable. I don't want to miss out. We call it FOMO, fear of missing out. So you start to, one of two things will happen. One, you start to buy more stock. 
or two, you're not necessarily paying attention to the composition um, between stocks and bonds. So if stocks are doing really well, your allocation to equities proportionally is going to increase. You may have started out at a 60% portfolio, but after three years of the bull market, it might be up to 80%. So making sure that, that you have a range of uh, an understanding of a range of possible outcomes based on your allocation to equities. And for retirement, it's really understanding your range of possible downside or drawdown. So based on your allocation, the market does X, what exposure do you have? Could you possibly see your accounts lose 300,000, 500,000, 800,000? What's that number and being aware of it? So that's what step one is about, is really making sure that the allocation is in place and monitored as dynamics change over the years to continue to provide you income that you can spend comfortably without the fear of running out in the future. I want to go back to to this concept of risk capacity versus risk willingness, because it's always something that, that I found uh, a very interesting distinction. And so risk capacity, I would sort of think of that as something that's more objective, something that one can get at not to over, but through mathematical means to say this is what the capacity is, but the risk willingness is much more subjective, you know, much more of a, a human element. Um, but what I wanted to ask you is, what happens when there's a discrepancy between the risk capacity? So if I have the capacity to bear a certain risk, but my personality doesn't make me willing to deal with that risk. Which one should preempt the other? Uh, should I be operating off of what I being real with myself of what I should really do, or should I try to adhere to what the the math says my portfolio can withstand? So you bring up a, a really good point. And first and foremost, we have to understand what a high capacity for risk and a low capacity for risk is. Let's say I have a million dollars saved for retirement, and between other sources of income. I only need to withdraw ten per or ten thousand dollars a year from my retirement account. That's about one percent. So, because my portfolio is not needed to provide a large amount of annual income, then I have a higher capacity for risk. If I wanted to, I could be eighty percent equity or a hundred percent equity. And if the market drops thirty or forty percent, I'm not in jeopardy of of my standard of living changing negatively. Whereas if I have a million dollars and I want to spend 50,000 a year or 60,000 a year and I have no other sources of income, well, that's five to 6%. Now you have a very low capacity for risk. If the market drops 20%, your million goes to 800,000 and you're still pulling out 50 or 60,000. Well, now you're withdrawing such a large percentage that the what we call sequence of returns risk, the combination of market losses while taking withdrawals from the portfolio. Now that becomes a much more uh, potentially devastating risk to your retirement. And ultimately, you have taken too much out. The markets didn't go in the, the direction you were hoping. And you have your security is ultimately now jeopardized. So now on the flip side, sort of flipping them around, have you have you come across uh, many investors? Is it common for one's risk willingness to actually uh, go beyond what their capacity is? That they 
want to take too many risks. Is, 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 that, is that something that you also see? Does it work both ways? Yeah, so that's probably the most common right there is the someone who has a low capacity for risk. So they need to withdraw a large sum from the portfolio relative to its overall size. Um, and they, the initial thought a lot of times is, well, I need to be more aggressive here. I need to, to grow my money more um, at, at 10% or 11% so I can have the asset base to generate the income that I need for my lifestyle. So really, that's, that's probably what the most common one is that we see where people are trying to take more risk because they're trying to grow the assets to provide the income to match their lifestyle, whereas that is very dangerous because if the market doesn't cooperate, well, you're, you're not only not generating the income that you, you want, but you're probably also going back to work and maybe not at the same level of income that you're used to because um, that's just kind of how it works sometimes. Whereas people who have a very high capacity for risk, they just have more flexibility with their choices. Um, if they want to be very conservative, they don't need the market risk. They don't have to have a large exposure to equities. So not as not nearly as detrimental in that particular situation, but absolutely can can see where people have a low capacity for, or excuse me, a, a high capacity for risk, small income need, and they may be conservative with the portfolio or they may be very aggressive. So bottom line, there's, there's no rule of thumb in terms of allocation that's going to fit for someone based on their age. I mean, these, these have to be customized based on all of these facts and circumstances uh, that, that, that you've mentioned, right? Yeah, understanding the dynamics is, is the first part of the equation. And then they can change over time. You know, every year we have clients that have been with us for four, five, six years, and they come in and they say, you know what, We're a little bit less, you know, willing to stay invested in the market. I want to be a bit more conservative now. So the willingness to take risk has changed. Well, we're always monitoring behind the scenes the portfolio's capacity to to take risk and what percentage of income they're actually withdrawing. So we do that. That's, like you said initially, more of an objective analysis and a big part of our job. But when the dynamics change, your willingness to take risk, absolutely, the portfolio can change. Income amount that is being withdrawn should be possibly changed. So those are, those are all big components of it. But first, it starts with just understanding the concepts. You had mentioned, you know, sort of that, that light bulb moment that, oh, wow, like this financial decision making, the whole picture is, is a lot more complicated than it was when I was 20 or 30 or, or 40 years old uh, and a lot more to consider uh, than the allocation and the investments. Now, you know, if you're, if you're that 20 year old that I was talking about before, just enrolling into the 401k, I mean, you, you just want to be contributing, right? I mean, I mean, any 20 year old who's contributing or maxing out their 401k is probably doing the right thing or, or doing the most important thing. But as one gets closer to retirement age, that complexity starts to unfold, as you mentioned. Uh, and there are specific things that need to be planned for that didn't necessarily need to be tackled when one was 20 or 30 years old. Uh, and so you mentioned at the beginning, uh, steps two and three were both in the flavor of planning, types of planning. Step two was income planning. Step three is tax planning. Uh, I'd like to start with the the income planning because um, obviously you need income before you're even going to get taxed. So we can start there. Um, how does one plan to create income streams in retirement? And I, and I realize that question alone could be a three-hour presentation, but in broad strokes, how should investors approach or be thinking about income planning? The first thing I think it helps to understand is the assets that you've accumulated 
inside of your retirement account, outside of your retirement account, but especially inside the retirement account, they are designed to provide income. That is the entire purpose. They're designed to replace your paycheck. So I think a lot of times the focus is more on growth for some people with those assets because it's logical to think, well, the more growth we have, the more income we can generate. And it's, it's, it's not incorrect necessarily that the more growth you have, the more income you can generate, but it's possible that it's just looking at it a bit backwards. Because if you are completely dependent on the market to consistently go up to generate income, if the market goes down, then your income theoretically will reduce. And I've not met, met many people in retirement that are fine with an income that correlates directly with the market. So I, if the market's up, I'm spending 80000 But now the market's down 20%. Well, next year, I'm spending 65000 So understanding that the goal is to generate multiple streams of income, assets that we don't need for income, you know, a lot easier to deal with market fluctuations when you understand that, hey, this account's up or down 20%, but you know what? I don't need that for 10 years because I have an income plan in place, which does include making the right decisions with social security. But I have an income plan in place that I'm living on these multiple streams of income and that income isn't changing if the market goes up or down. So I think the first concept there is to start to look at your assets is more of a base to generate income from. And of course, the more money you have, theoretically, the less important this becomes because you can make a lot of mistakes and still be okay. But it's really also a function of how much you spend. So if you have $10 million, but you spend a million a year, well, you know, it's not much different from, you know, having $500,000 and spending 50000 a year still spending too much relative to your asset base. So social security, as I mentioned, is a big one. Um, I think people underestimate, I know people underestimate how much income they'll receive over the course of their lifetimes from social security. So if a husband and wife, married couple, if they work, both of them, their entire career, and they have good social security checks and they live past age 90, you're looking at it one and a half to possibly three, three and a half million dollars of income from Social Security, depending on when you take it. If you take it at 62 or 64, 66 versus maybe 67 or 70, you're looking at for most people well over a million dollars of income from Social Security. And we've done these analyses where husband and wife worked, have very good social security checks. It makes sense for their plan to defer until age 70. And it's over $3 million of income. So it's a significant part of an overall income plan. And then you start to get into other tools that can be built into the allocation, such as dividend stocks or dividend growth stocks. So companies that have a long history of not just paying dividends, but they have a long history of also increasing those dividends. So getting into increasing income as part of the overall retirement income strategy. So you have a lot of different tools at your disposal. It's about putting those pieces of the puzzle together, customizing the income plan around your particular circumstances. And then, of course, like anything else, we have to monitor it. We have to make adjustments as things change. If your willingness to take risk change, well, guess what? The income, the allocation should adjust and the income may adjust. So having all that working together 
it's a critical part, but understanding that your asset base is designed to generate income to replace those paychecks is a good starting point for most people. Great. I, I like what you said at the beginning. If there's no income, then there's no retirement. And I, <laughs> I think I couldn't have said it uh, better myself. And and I guess to take that one step further, if uh, whenever there is income, uh, there's the, the potential for that income to be reduced by taxes. If we want to maximize our income, we need to minimize our taxes to avoid uh, that leaky bucket of taxes that, that could have been avoided. Um, and in a lot of you know, in a lot of ways, it's a zero sum game. Every dollar that you pay to Uncle Sam is one less dollar to the retiree. So, um, when in dealing with your clients and working with your clients, how does a, a retiree avoid that leaky bucket of paying taxes that didn't necessarily have to be paid? So we we've covered step one, the allocation to help us determine what step two is, the income. And then once we figure out the income plan, okay, now how much tax are we going to owe? Is there any way that we can strategize around income taxes to pay less over time? And the biggest challenge I think most people face when trying to determine how much tax they could potentially owe and if there's any strategies to implement around saving taxes is the lack of visibility into how their decisions today are impacting their taxes in the future. So none of us would get in a car when it's pouring rain, going down the interstate, no seatbelt, no windshield wipers, no headlights. We want to do that because we don't have visibility and we would be in danger of getting into an accident. But so often we see people enter into retirement. They really have no visibility of the impact of the decisions that they're making today have not only on their account balances, their their risk, the potential range of outcomes they could uh, realize depending on market performance, but the big one is taxes. So right now we have this limited window of opportunity with the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act. Passed in 2017, but it sunsets after 2025. So tax rates are going up and tax brackets are shrinking in 2026. I don't have the exact tax tables in front of me right now, but currently 2023 here, you could withdraw up to about 380000 or so from your retirement account, and you never leave the 24% bracket. Whereas going back to 2017 rates, once we get into 2026, if you withdraw, it's going to be rough, it's inflation adjusted. So let's call it around about 175000 from your retirement accounts. So it's called about half you're already into the 25% bracket. So if you think of tax planning in retirement, because we make withdrawals from our accounts, if we withdraw from our savings, that's tax-free. If we withdraw from our IRA, it's subject to income tax. If we withdraw from the Roth IRA, it's tax-free, assuming the five-year rule has been met. But if you think of the tax brackets as buckets, and every dollar we pull out, or every dollar of interest we generate for dividends, it fills up Right now, the 10% bucket, then we get into the 12% bucket, then we get into the 22, then the 24. You can fill up those buckets with so much more income right now than you'll be able to in just a few years. So when we do the tax analysis for people, what we often find, if you've saved a good amount of money inside your retirement accounts, a million, a million five, somewhere up in that range, and even if you've saved less, there's still a lot of potential for savings here. 
through tax and, and distribution planning. But the potential savings can be in the hundreds of thousands of dollars. So understanding the decisions you're making today with where you're withdrawing your income from, are you withdrawing it all from the IRA, withdrawing it all from your non-retirement accounts? Are you implementing what we call a multi-account distribution strategy where some is coming from one tax type and the other is coming from the other tax type? Are we doing Roth conversions where we're taking money out of that IRA and putting it into the tax-free Roth IRA? All of that combined is step two and step three, figuring out the optimal strategy for you. And that's income planning and tax planning. And when we run through this analysis for a lot of people, it is not uncommon to see hundreds of thousands of dollars in potential taxes being saved and understanding that we are working with this limited window of opportunity here over a couple of years to take advantage of these much bigger buckets, much wider tax brackets. It's, um, it's, a, it's a big challenge, I think, that, that people overlook, and it's because they don't have the visibility into if they continue down their path, what do taxes look like in the future, versus going in this different direction and having a more intelligent approach to retirement income distribution and tax planning. How does that compare now having the visibility into the future of how those decisions are impacting the tax savings down the road, and then you can compare. And that's really what what this is. And it comes down to having visibility into the future regarding your decisions that you're making today. And and that's where professional help becomes so important. I mean, it's just, I mean, I think it's just too much to ask ourselves. I mean, it's it's one thing to try to make the right decision based on the information that exists today. But as you aptly pointed out, it's not just the facts and circumstances today, you need to know what the facts and circumstances are going to be, you know, five years from now, six years from now, that, I mean, that that's, I mean, I would never ask that of myself. <laughs> I know. And I don't think any investor should be asking that of themselves. That, 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 that's where uh, professional advice, I think becomes, I mean, it's always important, but I think that's where, it, when it really, really uh, shines. Um, and, and that's, that's great advice. I, I, I suppose you got to get the, the high beams on to see as far in front of you as you possibly, <laughs> as you possibly can. So great advice. I think this is a good time for us to take a, a quick break. We've covered the first three steps, uh, but Troy does have two more steps of the retirement success plan to share with us. Uh, and he'll do that uh, after the break. And, and I think these are interesting steps because in my opinion, I think that they're topics that usually fall outside of the traditional finance discussion um, and they and they really shouldn't. So we will uh, chat about those last two steps right when we get back from this break. This episode is brought to you by Dalbar. Dalbar is the nation's leading financial services market research firm and is committed to raising the standards of excellence in financial services. For more podcast episodes, visit financelab.dalbar.com. And now back to the episode. Welcome back to Finance Lab. We're sitting down today with Troy Sharp of Oak Harvest Financial Group and discussing retirement planning. Now, at the beginning of the episode, Troy shared with us the five steps of his retirement success plan. And before the break, we dove into the first three, which was investment allocation, income planning, and tax planning. Uh, but next, we're going to explore the fourth step of the retirement success plan, and that's healthcare. Troy, healthcare obviously plays such an important role in our retirement planning. It's going to affect our time horizon. It's going to affect our estimated cost of living. It's going to introduce all sorts of options and alternatives in terms of insurance. 
I would argue that it's impossible to have an effective retirement plan without the consideration of healthcare. And well, since healthcare is one of your five steps, I'll assume that that you agree with that. Um, but what does what does the consideration of healthcare look like in the context of retirement planning? So I've talked to so many clients over the years where they come in and they say, Troy, you know, I really want to retire, but it's the cost of healthcare that's keeping me in the workforce for another two years or three years. The average out-of-pocket insurance premium, if you don't qualify for a subsidy for, let's say, a, a, a fairly healthy 60-year-old couple, is around $2,000 a month currently. So it might be 1800 it might be 2200 depending on where you live, but let's call it 2000 a month. That's $24,000 a year. That is, for many people, a significant increase to their overall expenses. And the questions become, do I have enough? You know, can I still retire, enjoy the lifestyle that I want, and also make sure that I'm covered for healthcare? So when it comes to retirement planning, this ties into step two and step three. We talked about income planning and tax planning. Because where you withdraw your income from in retirement determines what goes on your tax return. What is on your tax return is what goes to the government in order to determine if you qualify for a subsidy to help potentially reduce your health insurance premiums. Now, you have to buy a policy from the exchange. So you want to make sure, of course, that any particular services that you needed or providers that you work with are going to be covered with whatever policy you're possibly looking at. But for many people that are healthy and don't visit the doctor often, if we can tailor an income strategy and distribution that keeps your modified adjusted gross income, that the number that goes on your tax return, if we can keep that suppressed during those first few years of retirement, you can qualify for a subsidy that helps reduce your health insurance premiums from maybe $2,000 a month to $1,200 a month, $800 a month, $600, maybe $0 per month, maybe no cost whatsoever. So it's just understanding the concept, applying it to your particular situation, and then also weighing the pros and cons because some people have much bigger, longer-term tax challenges, and maybe we need to do some more distributing from the IRAs to make sure we don't have massive taxes permanently once we hit, let's say, age 67, 68, 69. So it's, it's understanding the concepts, applying it to your particular situation, and then crafting an income and tax plan that can potentially help you qualify for a subsidy or, or focus more on the future. Thank you. And then as we, as we look forward to, to step five, we've sort of come full circle here and, and, and close the loop in, in a way because uh, it, you know, if one's followed the first four steps, they've been successful in their planning for retirement and they're fortunate enough to not run out of money. Well, that means that there are going to be assets that are left over and that will still be there uh, when, when one passes. And so the planning phase doesn't end once you know that you won't run out of money. You know, what's going to happen to the assets that are, that are left over? And if an investor wants to maximize the amount of assets by protecting those assets uh, or sheltering them from taxes, or if they just want to be able to have control over how those assets are, are used through a distribution scheme, all, all of these are important considerations that an investor is still going to have to make if, if they're you know, lucky enough to be in that position. So what are the, the types of estate planning considerations that you discuss 
with your clients who know that there's going to be a legacy left over and want to start now planning for the distribution of those assets after they pass? It, it all centers around financial planning to achieve what's most important to, to you, the client. A lot of people, though, they don't understand what some of the options are. They don't understand maybe what some of the risks are. So the, the financial planner should act as the quarterback there to help shine light on what some of the concerns possibly are, what they could be, um, but then also coordinate between the attorneys because you need attorneys to draft the legal documents. But oftentimes attorneys, they don't necessarily stick around and provide annual reviews and make sure you do all the things that you need to do to make sure the documents that they put in place are and your wishes are carried out. Some of the common ones we see no particular plan for, for giving the money to the children. Well, we live in a country where the divorce rate is around 50%. So if you tell me that it's important for your money to go to your children, I'm going to ask you, do you want your children to be protected from a potential future divorce? And 100% of the time, that answer is going to be yes, if you care about the money going to your kids. So having a conversation, making you aware of that particular uh, risk, and then coordinating with the attorney so we can create a structure, most likely a trust, where the money will go into. And then if your child gets divorced, the money doesn't go to your children's future ex-spouse. It stays in the family. Simple things like retitling accounts to the name of the legal entities or changing beneficiaries. So it's about understanding and uncovering what some of the risks are and then what some of the pathways for addressing those concerns. So everything that we've done, steps one through four of the retirement success plan, so that money that's left over, it's properly structured to stay in your family, to go to those that, that you want it to go to, and uh, things aren't overlooked. Thanks, Troy. That that was the, the fifth and final step of the retirement success plan. Uh, as I said, I, I really like how it's broken down into a small, digestible uh, number of steps. It's a topic that can get overwhelming very fast. So uh, I appreciate your ability to break this down for us in, in a digestible framework. And I think it, it certainly facilitated a great discussion here today. But before we sign off, I, I just wanted to give you the, the last word. Any parting thoughts for our audience before we go? You know, I, I, so I'm a golfer, and um, after you finish the round, you, you go to the 19th hole, right? You have a beer, maybe you sit down, you talk about the, the round. It's important to, to understand with everything we've talked about today, it's not over once the plan is put in place. Retirement plans are dynamic, economic conditions, financial markets, what's important to you, your goals, considerations. All of those things are, are dynamic and they change over time. So it's kind of that 19th hole approach where it's ongoing monitoring and maintenance and conversations and adjustments is really what, what makes a plan work over time. Thank you. I, I love a golf analogy more than anything because we all, if you're a golfer, you relate to <laughs> Nothing relates better than golf analogies. So I definitely appreciate that. Um, so yeah, that concludes our uh, episode of Finance Lab. I, I want to thank our guest uh, one last time, Troy Sharp of Oak Harvest Financial Group for joining us today. Uh, be sure to check in weekly for more episodes at financelab.dalbar.com. Have a great day. Investment advisory services offered through Oak Harvest Investment Services, LLC. Oak Harvest Financial Group is an independent financial services firm that helps people create retirement strategies using a variety of insurance and investment products. 
Investing involves risk, including the loss of principal. Any references to protection benefits or lifetime income generally refers to fixed insurance products, never securities of investment products. Insurance and annuity product guarantees are backed by the financial strength and claim-paying ability of the issuing insurance company. Oak Harvest Financial Group LLC is not permitted to offer, and no statement made during this show shall constitute tax or legal advice. You should speak to a qualified professional before making any decision about your personal situation. We are not affiliated with the U.S. government or any governmental agency. This show is a paid placement. Thanks for listening. If you found this conversation valuable, please visit financelab.dalbar.com to connect with today's guest. We'll see you on our next episode of Finance Lab. 